Several years ago, I had the privilege of officiating a wedding for a wonderful young couple that I had gotten to know for a number of years before that, gotten to know their family, and got to do the premarital counseling, six or seven sessions for this young couple, and they were very excited for their wedding day, and I was really excited for them. They had done their homework, they had worked hard, they had done things in a God-honoring way, had stayed separated until marriage, and they were excited, and rightly so, to move to their wedding day. And it was a glorious wedding day, and a great, great celebration. A couple months later, the groom was surprised that he continued to struggle with the same things that he was struggling with previously over all those years. And he had just assumed that with the good gift of sex now in his life, he wouldn't struggle with those things any longer. And so he called me up and said, Adrian, can we have an appointment? And can I talk to you about some things that I've been struggling with? And I said, sure, come on over. And we'll just call him Jonathan. Not his real name, of course. But Jonathan and I talked about this a little bit. And I said, Jonathan, let's get out of here. Let's go for a walk. We need to get some fresh air as we talk about this. And I had the same talk with him that I've had with dozens of men over the years as he shared with me how his heart was breaking and how his wife's heart was breaking as he continued to do things that he wished he wouldn't do, continued to look at things that he wished he wouldn't look at. And here he was two months into his marriage and he was, also, he was already seeing this fracture grow into his marriage. He said, what do I do with this, Adrian? And so we walked, and I shared the best advice that I could give as I listened and prayed for him and wept with him. And we talked about the importance of daily praying to God and and waking up and surrendering our whole body to him. And talked about the importance of having a few men in our lives who could be safe accountability partners, who would love us and not judge us and be there for us like a life group. We talked about the importance of having filtering software on our phones and on our computers to keep the junk away during moments of temptation. And at the end of the walk, he was like, yeah, I'm ready to do those things. I'm ready for that. Yes! Victory! This is what we're after, victory! Until it came time to implement those things. And you know where I'm going here. When it came time to implement those things, he, eh, I, I don't I'm not sure if I need all that. Meh. He said, you know, actually I think, Adrian, I'm I'm strong enough on my own. I have enough willpower on my own that I don't need to share this with a few other guys. I could just share it with my pastor. That'll be enough. And I don't need this filtering software. I'm strong enough. I'm tough enough to handle this on my own. And so he stayed stuck. He stayed stuck, and his wife was the worst for it, and so was he. You see, he chose a prideful identity over purity. He thought he could have holiness without habits. He thought that he could have purity without a deep, robust focus on God. He thought he could have character without commitment and that my friends is impossible you can't have character without commitment you can't have holiness without habits 
I'm going to speak, though, this morning primarily about sexual lust. It's not the only thing, though, that we're going to talk about today, but it's the primary thing, though, that we're going to talk about today, and it's for this reason. It has introduced so much carnage to so many relationships throughout our country today. And it is a vicious, wicked scourge on so many people. And I am the kind of pastor, if you like it or not, that talks about the real stuff. And, and if you don't like it, you have to find a different pastor. Because I ain't going to change that. I'm going to talk about the real stuff. And this may or may not apply to you today, but I promise you, you know someone that this applies to. And the things that we're going to talk about here today extend way beyond what we think about when we talk about lust. When we think about lust, it extends to greed and to envy. It extends to selfishness and pride. It, exists, it extends to alcohol and gluttony and compulsive shopping and all of those things. And indeed, when the Bible speaks about lust, it speaks about it in a much broader term, a broader way than we tend to think of it. It speaks about all of those different applications when it refers to lust. Here's a simple definition. Lust is a passionate desire for something that will not satisfy beyond the immediate present moment. It might satisfy for a second, and then you need another hit, and then another hit, and then another hit, and it won't satisfy beyond that moment. Instead, what it will do is enslave. And this is true with all the different lusts, be it greed, or alcohol, or a substance, or in the sexual realm, or in shopping. All these different areas, same thing. Lust messes messes us up so much, but because what it inevitably does to Christians anyway, is it leads us in two different directions. And here's the thing, you cannot grow if you're going in two different directions. One of our elder board members is fond of saying that, and I love that line, we cannot grow, let me say it again, we cannot grow as long as we are moving in two different directions. It's impossible. Growth requires integrity, moving in just one direction. So you have an area that you wish to grow in today, it requires moving in just one direction with God. Duplicity will always leave us stuck where there will be no growth. Now the good news for us today is God will provide a way out for us with whatever temptation that we might be in today. Do you know that? This is the promise far from the scriptures again and again. So I want you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to look at a couple verses today. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13 first. And then after that, we're going to turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and look at verse 22. And just from these two passages, we're going to look at a number of different helps that God would give to us today for the various lusts in our lives that tend to fracture us Fracture people that we love, fracture relationships that we desperately care about today. As God would have us have some helps to overcome them, we need, we need not be overcome by our lust. We can overcome them. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? We need not be overcome by our lust. We can overcome them. They need not have power over us. We can exert power over them. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 and 13. I hope somebody's ready for some preaching this morning because I'm ready to preach. Man, I hope you're with me. So if you think, if you think you are standing firm, can I just tell you, I, you know, 
I'm passionate about people going after Christ. I, I, I get passionate not to be overly intense with y'all, but I'm passionate about people going after Christ with all you got because he's the best thing going. So please stick with me, okay? All right. If you think you're standing firm, mm, be careful that you don't fall. Stand firm. But know that you can fall. We all can. Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. I would underline that in my Bible. Common to mankind. This is why we can talk about these things because what's common to you is common to me and across this room. The temptations that we face are common to mankind. And God is, what is he? He's faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Our God is faithful. What a promise this is for us, that when we're facing temptations of any kinds, he will provide a way out for us that we can continue to stand firm, that we can endure whatever challenge in any different realm, any area that we may be facing. I am so thankful for the promises of God. So what we want to do here is look at a number of helps from the scriptures that help us overcome these lusts that, that fracture. Here's the first one. You need to figure out your triggers, whatever they are. You need to identify, you need to figure out your triggers, whatever your triggers might be for any area of life. Imagine with me, though, that you are allergic to peanuts. Okay, and you really love things like peanut butter. And peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And you love me some peanut butter cookies. And you love me some Texas Roadhouse Grill. But you know to stay away from all of those delicious treats because they're full of peanuts. And you know that when you get around peanuts, you go into anaphylactic shock. Or you break out in hives. Or you gag. And so you wisely stay away from those triggers because you know what they will do to you. Are you hearing me now? You hearing me? Okay. You wisely stay away from those triggers. Why is it that we know to do that in the physical realm of life with our physical health, but when it comes to our spiritual health, we don't do that? There are things that we should be allergic to and we should identify the triggers that would bring about sin in our lives. We identify the triggers and then we stay away from those things. Some of you all know though this morning that there is a certain party that you're invited to with certain friends and whenever you go to that party with those friends, you get drunk. Don't go to the party. There's others that know every single time I go onto Twitter, I get into a political fight with someone. And this rage develops in me, and this superiority complex develops in me, and I start to look down my nose at other people, and I know Jesus had some things to say about that, but still I refuse to delete my Twitter account. Some of you know that every time you go on such and such a web page, or you watch such and such a movie with such and such a rating, you know it's going to bring certain images to your mind that get etched on your brain and you can't get rid of them, but still, for some reason, you choose to look at those movies and at those web pages. We need to figure out our behavioral triggers and set boundaries right there. 
Even a little bit deeper, what we want to do is figure out our emotional triggers and set boundaries there. What are the emotional triggers in your life that leave you subject to increased temptations? And we all have that for any number of temptations. I'll tell you a few of my emotional triggers. When I'm not working out, when I'm not exercising my body, I'm leery to temptation in any number of different areas. When I'm working too much, my mom, God bless her, is a workaholic. And I can go there if I'm not careful. And when I'm doing that, when I'm working way too much, I lose health in other areas. When I go into self-pity mode, why don't people notice me? Uh, Why do I have to do all this? When I go into that mode, I know something is wrong in my soul. And I better call a friend. I better get to the Bible verses that I've memorized and review those because those are emotional triggers that leave me subject to things like anger or other sins. I have to identify that. Friends, this is not just a men's issue. I want you to know that as we're talking about it here today. This is not just a men's issue. We're talking about this today because it's such a gigantic cultural issue. You know the pornography industry in America is $15 billion a year, which is larger than the National Football League. It's larger than Netflix. That's how huge this looms in our culture. 28% of contemporary pornography users are not men, they are women. 28%. And emotional affairs can go both ways. We have to figure out what the emotional triggers are that tend to bring us off of our game and set up boundaries there. And then husbands and wives, what we need to do is support each other, believe in each other, push each other up, bless each other, encourage each other, trust each other. One of the greatest triggers for husbands and wives is this, my husband doesn't believe in me. My wife, she doesn't believe in me. She doesn't trust me. That's a big trigger. We have different triggers that are way bigger than the actions themselves. Think about it. The person who's getting drunk several times a week, it's not really about alcohol, is it? It's about something else that's going on right here. And alcohol is how it manifests itself. The person who needs to compulsively shop each and every day There's something else going on right here that is leading to that activity. The person who's looking at pornography, it's not mostly about sex. It isn't. It's about something else that is going on right here. It's about feeling small or unimportant. It's about a feeling of shame. It's about an ache of loneliness, the longing to matter to someone. And it's incumbent on us to identify what are those behavioral and emotional triggers that put us in an ugly spot and then put boundaries around those. I love the way the old London Times journalist and philosopher G.K. Chesterton put it. He says, the man who knocks on a brothel door is actually knocking for God. We want something deeper, but we settle for something less. We're made for love, but we can so easily settle for something that immediately satisfies for just a second called lust. But it will never satisfy. 
Frederick Beekner put it this way, lust is the craving for salt of a man who is dying of thirst. It will never satisfy. So wisdom identifies triggers and then makes a plan, and that plan will always include fleeing with a few trusted Christian friends. We're going to develop a plan, and the plan includes this. You've got to flee with a few trusted friends. Look over with me now, about 50 pages, to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. And a beautiful verse here, which the Apostle Paul is instructing his young disciple, Timothy. And as he's instructing this young church leader, Timothy, he says this, Timothy, flee, run from the evil desires of youth. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with others who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I love that it says, you run, but you cannot run alone. You have to run with a few others who are also running in the same direction, who are calling on the Lord out of a pure heart. Sometimes the holiest thing that you can possibly do is just sprint in the other direction and do so well with a couple friends. Remember Joseph in the book of Genesis? That great story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife is coming after him day after day after day. And Joseph has risen to, to the place of being vice president in the Egyptian empire. And Potiphar is Pharaoh. He is uh, number one in the Egyptian empire. And his wife is coming after Joseph day after day. And Joseph is a chaste man who is not married. And he is committed to offering his body to God each day. But this woman, this beautiful woman, keeps coming to him day after day and says, Joseph, would you lie with me? And one day she comes to him naked. And what does Joseph do? The Bible says simply, Joseph ran. He just ran away, okay? He didn't like tarry for a little bit and say, wow, that feels kind of good. She, she likes me. He didn't do that. He didn't say, maybe I should just look at the screen for a little bit. No, he ran in the opposite direction, the moment of temptation. That's wisdom, to run in the opposite direction, the moment temptation comes. I am absolutely convinced that if we just ran with a couple other trusted Christian friends, we would find so much more victory, though, than we do in this area. I'm talking about trusted Christian friends who we can be honest with, who are honest with us, who we can be safe and vulnerable with, that we can ask for prayer, the kinds of men or women who will tell us straight when we're getting off course, who will pray for us, and who still will love us even when we make mistakes. To have a few other people around us, that's one of the critical reasons though, that we have life groups. Someone who loves you, someone who knows you, and someone who still loves you, even when they see the real you. Third, I want to encourage you to fill your mind with the good stuff. We have to flee in the opposite direction from the evil desires of youth, but we have to fill our mind with the good stuff. We don't gaze at what does not belong to us. When we're invited to a party where we know there will be drunkenness, we simply do not go. If we struggle with compulsive shopping that's become an addiction, then perhaps we cut up those credit cards and we get on a cash-only financial budget. Perhaps we delete Amazon from our phones. You know, those kinds of things. It's, it requires serious surgery 
But you can't just end with surgery. You have to fill it back up, don't you? You have to fill it back up. Because nature abhors a vacuum. So if you just leave a void there, that won't be enough. We have to flee in the opposite direction. And then Paul says here to Timothy, you need to pursue. Flee the evil desires of youth and then pursue righteousness. That's God's goodness. Pursue God's goodness. Faith, increasing faith. Pursue love and pursue peace. Along with others who are likewise pursuing the Lord in a similar way. You gotta refill. Not enough just set up boundaries, but we gotta refill well with the good stuff. Philippians 4 puts it this way, whatever is true, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Dwell your mind on those things. Set your mind there. Meditate on those things. Think about those things often. People have accused me of being like anti-social media. I wonder why. I talk about it sometimes, don't I? It's just this. Like Our mind will be whatever we dwell on. The battle's for the mind. And so whatever we dwell on, whatever we meditate on, that's, that's what we're going to be thinking about. And in order to do this, in order to dwell on things above, not on things below, to dwell on what is true and right and pure, we have to do the same thing that we talked about a couple weeks ago as we talked about apathy, which is building spiritual habits. How's that going for you? How are we doing with the 20-minute God time each and every morning, in which we're taking this devotional time to read through the New Testament here in 2019 You can go through one chapter a day, 260 chapters. You get through the New Testament easily in 2019. And as you read through that, and then you pray over your world, pray for your family, pray for your personal needs, pray over the areas of temptation, meditate on key verses, key ideas, you begin to build spiritual habits. I've been so blessed to hear from a number of you over these past weeks that you're now doing that. You're proactively building spiritual habits with your families. A young man and his family came up to me yesterday at the YMCA and said, this is what they're doing each and every morning as a family, reading a chapter out of the New Testament and praying together for one another. They're building a spiritual habit that they didn't have in the past. Thanks be to God, that's going to reap great benefits for their family. But you got to build spiritual habits. And the simple truth is, if you're not willing to do this, if we are not willing to do this, we'll keep getting the same thing that we've been getting. Change begins with real passion and building up spiritual habits. So I encourage you to keep doing that. And here's one thing that you can do is you would perhaps memorize a few scriptures. Very, very simple thing that I'd like to teach you. You can go to BibleGateway.com. Here's a screenshot of it on the screen for you. BibleGateway.com has this thing called a concordance. You might also have a physical concordance, but a concordance is just a really simple way to type in any word that represents any struggle that you have. And then from that word, from that struggle, you could find dozens of verses related to any struggle. Because the Bible speaks about the stuff that we deal with in life again and again and again. So I've typed in here the word lust, and after that came about 20 different verses. You can type in a synonym and find another 20 more different verses. 
But you read through those. You meditate on those. You cogitate them in your belly. And then as you do, you might identify two or three that are particularly powerful to you, and you memorize them. And memorization of Scripture is so powerful because in the moment of temptation, whatever it might be, that Scripture goes off in your brain and it works to affect change to help you move in a different direction. And so if I feel lust, can I tell you that even pastors can feel lust? Do you know that? Come on, somebody laugh with me. <laughs> laugh at me if you want, I don't care. Job made a covenant with his eyes. Job 31.1. Job made a promise with his eyes not to look lustfully at any girl. And Adrian, you've made a promise with your eyes not to look lustfully at any girl. Flee from the evil desires of youth, Adrian. And pursue righteousness right now, Adrian. And call up your brothers right now, Adrian. Because your holiness is way more important than this lust, Adrian. And that becomes a time bomb for me in the moment of need that goes off and I am equipped. Friends, this is God's sword for us. This is God's sword. He gives us the victory, but we have to stand firm in it. We can find a way out of any temptation but we have to prepare ourselves and the Holy Spirit brings that word to us at the moment of need to give us just what we need so that we would not fall into that area of temptation. This is possible. This is totally possible. I can promise you this is absolutely possible with whatever you might be fighting with today. The problem with Jonathan, Jonathan, that man that I started with, was this. He just didn't hate his sin enough. He just wasn't fed up enough. He just didn't yet have a Popeye-type moment. And we just said, ah, I'm done with this. I ain't having it no more. He didn't hate his sin enough. And so he wasn't willing to put in the boundaries that could produce health, to build in the relationships, to build the habits. And that is what we must do after our Popeye-type moment. And then finally, we continue to go back to Christ day after day and freely receive what God wants for us, which is this, healed and filled. To be healed by Jesus completely and to be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what he wants for us day after day. And as we go back to Christ again and again, he forgives us and he strengthens us, he heals us and he fills us well with the Holy Spirit. And the gospel message is, no matter how much you might have messed up in any area, there is still forgiveness for you. There's still forgiveness today for you. Have you ever heard that we're both saints and sinners at the same time, but mostly we're saints? We are. We're mostly saints. And so we go back to the gospel day in and day out, and we receive the forgiveness and the freeing power of Jesus as he heals us once again. He heals us and he fills us by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the most powerful passages in the entire Bible for me is 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. And it goes like this. Do you not know that idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But not only idolaters, it says, neither idolaters, nor drunkards, nor swindlers, nor the greedy, nor the sexually immoral, nor liars, none of those people will inherit the kingdom of God. Sit on that for just a moment. None of those people will inherit the kingdom of God. And then it says, such were some of you. Such were some of you. Such was I. And we're level. We're level. Such was I. And then one of the most beautiful statements in all of Scripture is this. But, 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 you were washed. You were cleansed. You were justified. You were sanctified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How great is our God. We were going to hell. We were far from his kingdom. Such were some of us. And yet by the Spirit of God we were filled. By Jesus Christ and his justifying power, we were healed. I want to close though this morning with a quick reading. It comes from the back, on the back of your resource page here on your handout, the back of your outline. You'll see a number of different resources that I've mentioned today, Covenant Eyes and Bible Gateway and this book and a couple others. This is from Surfing for God. And I would just ask you to kind of put aside your notes right now and just listen to this beautiful reading. It's a, it's a story that tells such a beautiful lesson about the gospel of Christ. And you might want to close your eyes as you hear it or open up your hands, but here's the promise for us through a beautiful story. A rabbi and his young disciple sat side by side under the shade of a large oak tree. Help me, rabbi, said the disciple. I am a double-minded man. The law of the Lord tells me the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want, but oh, rabbi, how I want. The rabbi's face revealed a trace of a smile, but he remained silent. And rabbi said the younger man, the law of the Lord tells me that my soul finds rest in God alone. But oh, how my soul finds rest in everything else. The rabbi's face revealed the same trace of a smile. And rabbi said the student, the man after God's own heart, told us to ask and seek after only one thing, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. But my heart seeks after so many things. The student lowered his voice to a whisper. And the beauty I secretly gaze upon brings me shame. How will I ever become a man after God's own heart when I am so unfaithful? With this, the rabbi let go of all constraint and he began to laugh, his eyes sparkling. My son said, the rabbi, listen to the story I'm about to tell you. Long ago, a skylark flew above the parched and desolate ground of the desert. Times were hard for all living things, and worms were not easy to come by for a creature of the air in those days. Even so, the skylark ran, sang a winsome song. Day after day, as he sought his daily portion. As each day passed, the difficulty of finding food grew more extreme. In his hunger, he began to grow restless. In his restlessness, he forgot how to sing. The rabbi paused for a moment, wiped his brow, and exhaled deeply. In a whisper, the rabbi continued, One day the skylark heard an unfamiliar voice. It was the voice of a traveling peddler, and the skylark could not believe what the peddler seemed to be selling. 
Worms. Worms. Precious, mouth-watering worms, cried the peddler. Come right up and get your delicious worms today. Incredulous at this sudden good fortune, the Skylark hopped closer to the peddler, drawing nearer to this manna from heaven. Worms today, two worms for one feather, said the peddler. At the mention of worms, the Skylark felt a pang of hunger in his belly. Suddenly he understood, my feathers are many, thought the Skylark, imagining the taste of worms in his beak. Surely I will not miss two small feathers. So unable to resist any longer, the Skylark plucked two of his smallest feathers and surrendered them to the peddler, who unbeknownst to the Skylark was the unholy one in disguise. As promised, the Skylark had his choice of the fat, fattest, juiciest worms he had ever seen, and all without needing to dig and claw in the unyielding ground. So the Skylark took hold of four glistening worms and swallowed them. Such small sacrifice, yet such great reward. Two small feathers is of no concern to me. With his stomach full, the Skylark stepped from his high perch and began to soar. The next day, the Skylark swooped and sang until he met the nefarious peddler once again. Just as before, the peddler offered two worms for one feather. So the Skylark feasted on the luscious worms until he had his fill. And so it went on day after day. One day after finishing the worms, the Skylark attempted to take flight. Instead of soaring, he plummeted to the ground with a thud. Stunned but grateful to be alive, the Skylark realized he had no more feathers. Of course he couldn't fly. Ah, but the story continues, said the rabbi. Sitting down, he exhaled deeply. Once the Skylark realized he had given up his feathers and could not fly, he came to his senses said the rabbi. Desperate, he hopped and stumbled through the desert gathering worms. A small one here, a small one there. After several days of striving and toil, he had a small pile of worms and returned to the peddler. Here are enough worms to exchange for my feathers. I need them back. The unholy one, however, just laughed at him and said, you can't get your feathers back. You got your worms, I've got your feathers. And after all, a deal is a deal. As the rabbi finished speaking, the young apprentice noticed a tear going down his teacher's cheek. Rabbi, why the tear? The disciple asked. The heart of God breaks when we give away our feathers for worms, the rabbi said. But even more, God's heart breaks when we try to buy our feathers back. For only God can restore our feathers. And restore He will. Heal He will. Fill you once again He will. Restore you and make you fly he can, as we lean into the gospel of grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you can be healed.